All right, so we're back again with uh, Rails 102.2, and the first thing we have to do is apologize to our hordes of fans oh. for no episode in the week before the mid-semester break, which uh, was, was definitely my fault. I had something to do immediately in the time when we usually record the podcast, and then we never caught up again. Sorry, fans. <laughs> Not sure what you did with all with the, that uh, 14 minutes that you usually commit to us, but we're we're deeply sorry. But anyway, we're back, and I we've just had the final lecture on Buddhism uh, this week uh, about the Sangha. It was a comparative lecture. Oh, you, this week, yeah. And yeah. then the second lecture was uh, the one with. I think we're going to talk more about because we've reached the stage in the course where we are transitioning. Ben promises us this is a very going to be really exciting. We're casting out into new territory in 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 the way that we teach this course. Um, I, I'm not saying it's going to be exciting, but I wanted to comment a little bit on on why we did this. And this is wait, uh, can I just preface this? This is Will's super complicated and slightly pretentious, yeah, kind of explanation. So get ready, get a cup of pims or whatever you need, and just listen. <laughs> So this is something that I considered saying during the lecture, but definitely left out, decided to leave out because uh, I thought it was it was kind of you know beyond the curriculum really. Um, but that's what this podcast is partly about. That the stuff that we talk about in here is not necessarily stuff you're going to be examined on, but it's the you know it's our wider reflections on the course, and I do think it's important, and I think some of you may be interested in it. So. For many years, as, as I, we said at the beginning, we taught this course Hinduism first and, and then Buddhism. And there's a historical problem with that in that much of the material that I cover in the section of the course on Hinduism is actually historically later than much of the stuff that, mm. that Ben covers because Ben tends to focus more on the origins of Buddhism and explicating very carefully those early teachings of the Buddha. So there's a historical problem there, but there's a deeper problem, which is more of a, a kind of ideological problem. And, and this is actually connected with a word that I, I can't remember why Ben used it now, but at some point during the early part of the course, he, he used the word supersessionism. And supersessionism is a, is a rather technical term um, for uh, – a, a phenomenon. well, let me explain uh, where it comes from. So the idea is that uh, it's really a Christian idea. Um, and it's connected with the idea that what Christians call the Hebrew Bible, or the Tanakh, they call it the Old Testament, which implies, of course, a New Testament, which comes later and goes further or is higher or better or fulfills or completes the Old Testament so you can chuck away the old thing. And this is an idea that many scholars have connected, um, not implausibly, I think, with the deep roots of anti-Semitism uh, in European Christianity. Right, with all the ugly consequences that, that flowed from that. And, and the idea here is that the people who clung to the old uh, were rejecting the new um, and that therefore uh, were you know, putting themselves in a position of being rejected. By f simply following the tradition of their, their forebears, they um, put themselves in the position of rejecting Christ, rejecting the New, uh, the new Testament and, and, and God's purposes. Now, I, this is profoundly wrong, partly because um, it tends to cast Judaism as something that stopped when Christianity began, or that, that, that Judaism's natural end, its natural goal, was to flow into Christianity. And, and just historically, that's not true. Judaism and Christianity grew up side by side, uh, in the ancient Near East uh, and in um, in you know in, in Europe and, and elsewhere, and they reacted to each other. I mean, this is far from my area of expertise, but Judaism 
historically is not what we find depicted in the Tanakh. There's no temple that was destroyed. And so, and I think there's a similar kind of when mostly the academic study of religion was pioneered by uh, European scholars, many of whom were Christian, many of whom were Protestant. Um, they tended to carry this over into Hinduism and, and the study of Buddhism and to present the Buddha as this kind of single figure, Jesus-like, um, who reformed, got rid of a tradition that was bound up with priesthood and sacrifice and preached a new ethical singular focus. I mean, monotheistic for, you know. Um, so these these are unhappy echoes. And I think by teaching the course in this way, I wanted to shift us away from something that's both historically wrong, both in the case of Judaism and Christianity and in the case of Buddhism and Hinduism, but that also is ideologically let's use the word term problematic uh, in the case of the study of Judaism and Christianity um, and just misleading uh, in the case of Hinduism and Buddhism because Hinduism and Buddhism, Hinduism didn't stop when Buddhism began either. Hinduism continued to develop and Buddhism continued to develop. I mean, this is where I would argue uh, partly with Ben's emphasis overwhelmingly on the early years of Buddhism. Buddhism, and we'll see more of that, I think, as the course mm. develops, how Buddhism develops and how it becomes something different than what you might find in the suttas. Ben, I've talked a lot. Maybe you want to chip in at this point. No, no, I thought I thought surprisingly that was very good. Will <laughs> I mean, I just I would add one other thing to that story about the history of of scholarship uh, into South Asian religions, which is that it's not just the the um, comparison was not just made between the, the kind of old dispensation of monotheism, i.e., Judaism in this frame of reference, and the new dispensation, i.e., Christianity, but between dispensations of Christianity. So Hinduism was also considered analogous to the Catholic Church, the pre-Reformation Catholic Church. And Buddhism was made analogous to the Reformed Christian movement, i.e. the Protestant Church with the, after the reforms of Luther. And Buddha was in early texts, particularly early um, Anglophone texts, described as a kind of Martin Luther of South Asia, that he took the religious traditions that were that, that were priestly, that were you know slavishly obedient to law, that were um, uh, uh, kind of oriented around a, uh, a, a model of salvation that had an intercess, intercession of a Brahmin priest to 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 to, um, to get to achieve your religious goals, and made it more personalistic, more based on text, more based on um, you know faith basically and uh that that is also wrong of course but it's another layer of scholarly bias that uh this model of hinduism first buddhism second sort of is brings to bear and i think implies and that was really explicit right in the 19th century very explicit you're talking about i mean it, you said they presented him as a kind of martin luther i would go further than that they, they i'm sure that there are texts which say he is the they Indi- do. They, he they is the indian that. martin luther he they, is explicitly they, they compared that. in that way yeah um uh, and yeah, and I think that has a hangover in the way that uh, Buddhism has been presented in the academy as something more rational, yep. uh, something more enlightened, more scientific. And, and yeah, when I think when we come to look at, you know, feeding feeding the spirits and uh, mm. that kind of stuff in, and, and offering worship to the Buddha, mm. um, we'll begin to complicate uh, those ideas. So, yeah. Yep. Okay. I mean, there's. Well, I mean, maybe let's just riff on this for a bit, and I can get to this other point in another podcast because I think it is. It is. It's worth keeping in mind all these things as as we as we look at these two traditions because there is something called confirmation bias, which is that you go. This is a you know a, a 
idea in social psychology that that basically says that you have a pre um, a pre understanding of of the world and you look for evidence that fits your pre understanding of the world and therefore what you're taking as kind of objective evidence of um, some hypothesis that you have is actually the selective choice of little bits of information that fit this um, preconception that you already have. And we are very wont to do this in the study of Hinduism and Buddhism. That is, we will often choose examples from these these traditions that fit a certain model that we're trying to present. And I think Will's point about me choosing these early sources, but me focusing on the philosophical side, the Dhammic side, uh, the, 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 the image of, of the Buddhism that's perpetrated in the, or that's um, suggested through the Pali Suttas, there is a kind of selection bias that I've maybe deliberately and sometimes less deliberately taken in this first part of the class. And it's that that I'm going to try and explode a little bit in the second part of the class. But even so, uh, when we're talking about these things, when we talked about these things today in class, when we were comparing the two, I still think there was elements of that kind of biased presentation there. And that hopefully what happens in the second part of the class, when we engage in explicit comparison, is that we undercut that a little bit, right? That even though I'm going to undertake next week to show you that, um, you know, there are forms of, of puja, there are forms of devotion to the Buddha that don't seem to make sense with the idea that the Buddha is not, is no longer present in samsara, um, I will still probably be selective of certain kind of features of, of the tradition and not others. Yeah, so you've had more on, you know, Buddhist doctrines of, you know, the importance of intention and ethics, for example, which I would say is something that we're very prone to because we think of intention as being very important as well and less about him shooting colored flames out of the tips of his That's fingers. Right. That's <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> but Absolutely. Both, both are equally a part of Buddhism. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, going back to that, uh, you know, Graham Harvey's principle about uh, Buddhism is, or religion is everything that those religious people do. Uh, Buddhism is the Buddha shooting colored flame from the tips That's of right. his fingers as well as his, you know, ethical teachings which can be nicely molded and cast to 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 seem very appealing that's right uh, it's why buddhism is appealing to 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 you know people in the west today that's right um, yeah. that's right yeah although hey how cool would it be to shoot colored flame from your oh, fingers it'd be, it'd be awesome right? and in fact sometimes i mean even <laughs> even some cases if you go to say sri lanka there will be people who can tell you the colors of the flames that came right. out of his fingertips that can't tell you you know about um the difference between the dependent origination and, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. in fact i would say that's a very common thing yeah mm. um yeah. This is maybe a good start for us here, Will. I don't want to go into this other subject. Okay. So you think we're going to stop there? I don't know. Our our fans might want more. Can you give them something more, some more pompous kind of like reflections? <laughs> they still probably have a, a third of a cup of pims left. Yeah, I can't do this on demand, Ben. Um, really? That's it's interesting. Uh, what else? Because it seems to flow freely from you. <laughs> anyway, I think I think the, the the only thing I'd say further is that. Um, it's that balance, the, the thing I'm struggling with in class today even, was the balance between collapsing the two and kind of keeping them separate. And I, I do worry that sometimes the more we kind of expose the similarities, the more that kind of distinction is actually really hard for even myself to grasp. So when we talked about Dharma, for example, today, Dharma, you know, the Hindu notion of Dharma as referring to the, you know, the ideal cosmic order and your duties uh, that you should be undertaking to support that is like quite is actually more similar than I had anticipated right. when yeah. I said it to the, the the Buddhist idea of Dhamma, which is the way things are, yatabhuta, just the way that the world is, and the way you should orient your actions 
in response to that. It's not that the, your actions are going to kind of uphold the way the world is, but that it's the most skillful thing you can do to kind of align your human actions with just the physics, the cosmic moral physics of the world. Yeah, I mean, the clearest difference is I can't imagine somebody describing the worldview of a particular Hindu thinker as his dhamma or as no, his dharma. As his teacher, they would, yeah. They, the, the word in Hinduism would be his darshana, his yeah. view. I yeah. mean, darshana is the, the word that means seeing a god is one view of it, but it also means yeah. your darshan is there are six orthodox darshanas philosophical traditions that Hinduism recognizes. So Dhamma in that sense is distinct, but otherwise I agree with you that they, yeah. they, they do overlap an awful lot. I, okay. I and do actually just on that point in early in suttas, when they're taught, when they're referring to the other teachings of other teachers, they use the word Darsh Ditti, which is the Pali ver- version of right. Darshana in a way. And they distinguish that from Dhamma. Right. So the other people yeah, don't teach yeah. Dhamma. They teach, they have their Ditti. And that's, it's almost impossible to have right ditti, right? Ditti by almost by definition carries a sense of a wrong view. Like it's That's a right. view, it's a it's a perspective rather than the truth, right? Dhamma is the truth, is the way things it's Although I think they do talk about samadhi. I'm sure you can, but but yeah. it, it has that kind of flavor of like It does. Yeah, uh, speculation. Partiality. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. A limited view. Yeah. Um I was just about to add some other pompous reflection, oh. and, and you and I and I, I forgot about it. Stolen from you. you, you, you came back. Oh no, I was. I know I was going to say. Um, <laughs> Thank God. I mean, one of the great things, and I think you know, often students don't appreciate this, is that we're learning as well. Yeah. Right. We're learning from each other, but you're also learning, Ben, when you listen to me and you appreciate like, <laughs> that I've, made, go that I've made a good point yeah. about Dharma and Dhamma not being as different as they are. Yeah. But. I mean, you, <coughs> you could take that as, um, you know, uh, really disappointing to discover that it might take you 20 years of studying Hinduism and Buddhism <laughs> or 30 in my case, and you're still not there. Um, or you could take it as, you know, uh, this stuff is difficult and it takes a long time to get to grips with it. And, you know, there's always there's always more to learn. So, yeah. but, but, but also, you know, once you get the basics down, which you will after this class, the... The rest of it, the, 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 the last 20% that's kind of really, really hard to master, that's the fun stuff, right? So once you get this grounding, once you take one or two, I feel like it becomes more fun. Even though you kind of second-guess your opinions and you realize that maybe the, the kind of ideas that we're presenting here were sort of preliminary and, and maybe aren't fully accurate, maybe in some cases wrong. They're, they're noble lies, as some people uh, refer to them. Um, but even th- that part is much more fun than just trying to get your hand, head around, you know, what is samsara? What does this word mean? But it's also a a good principle. Um, I saw somewhere, I don't know, a kind of pyramid of, of, of how people learn things. And listening to somebody tell you, you learn, you retain 10% of that. Yeah. Uh, reading it, you retain 15%. When you come, the, the way to retain something best is to try and explain it to somebody yeah. else. And that's why Ben and I learn from each other, you know, listening to each other, explaining and, and teaching, you know, anybody. But I think it's a really good tip for you guys. If, if you think you understand part of this course or, or you think you don't, try explaining it to a, yeah. a friend of yours who's not taken this paper yeah. and see how much you'll then you'll find out how much you understand it and how much you don't and where, where, where the holes are. So. That's, that's a great that's a great tip, man. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, Seems it's like time for our outro. Hang on. Here we go. Just the usual. I'm going to beatbox it. Just, just so you know, though, I can't do it fully because i got this cut in my face, so I can't. But that's good enough for now. <laughs>